Welcome to The Resonance, the podcast about energy and sustainability from Alpha Energy Group. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Alpha Energy Group podcast. I'm Jeremy Nicholson, Corporate Affairs Officer at Alpha, and I'm joined for my fortnightly catch-up on the ever-eventful commodity markets by my colleague Jason Durden, our Head of Energy Markets and Risk Management. Uh, Jason, let's start with oil. I hesitate to use the words good news because, uh, you know, thoughts of recession in China and elsewhere can hardly be considered good, but this has an impact on the oil markets, doesn't it? Are are we seeing a, a bit of a softening in price there? Yes, we have, Jeremy. So this week we've seen oil sort of uh, start sluggishly. But uh, yesterday afternoon it was all about Chinese data. It was all about perhaps a little bit more light being shed on some of the problems in China. And it's very opaque, obviously. But uh, yeah, we saw uh, six month lows on Brent yesterday and overnight and into this morning's trading. A little bit of a recovery uh, this morning, which is what Tuesday. We've seen six month lows on Brent, and uh, I think there is certainly some positioning there from the uh, the bigger players and the funds because China is such a key market. I mean, there is. You know, oil refinery data suggesting that growth was down, some skew of that data suggesting that imports were on the up. But um, there is sort of a, a narrative beginning to say, you know, there is big property crisis, the sort of the evolution of the Evergrande thing that was never fully resolved is causing China some issues. And if they now begin to see less demand from their Western companies ordering um, various things in their own economy, then uh, I think the outlook uh, for a number of people is is looking a little less uh, supported by China. And therefore, we're seeing base metals, we're seeing oil, we're seeing all of these commodities pushed lower. So, Jason, in terms of, you know, views from different analysts, uh, is there a consensus view about where we're going on oil or are the differences between, I know, OPEC, IEA and others? Well, I think in the the bigger picture, I think there is some consensus. Uh, OPEC see strong growth in oil demand and and so do the IEA, but less so. But actually, uh, in the latest set of data we uh, we saw last week, OPEC just trimmed back their 22 demand for the balance of this year. But it's still bear in mind by 260,000 barrels a day, but do bear in mind that's still over 3 million barrels a day up on last year. The IEA actually, and, and, and perhaps probably a, something quite fascinating for those of us that have been around a little while, is the IEA cautioned for of gas for oil switching, pushing up to 400,000, I think they cited 380,000 barrels a day into demand for 22, based on the fact that certain parts of the world would turn their back on natural gas and start burning oil products again um, for heating and cooking and um, all the rest of it. We are in full backwards mode in terms of where we're trying to or what we're trying to achieve in terms of fossil fuel use. Right, and that would be a, an important shift if, if it occurs, and it does seem like it, it might. Has this been sufficient to take any of the pressure off the gas markets, though? I mean, you know, Asian buyers traditionally have been, you know, hugely important for the LNG market, keeping the price high. And when Europe needs to tap into it, as we do at a huge amount at the moment, um, obviously, we sort of, you know, we're in competition with that part of the world to get the supplies to come here. So are we seeing any moderation in gas demand internationally or is, a, is that market looking as tight as it did before? 
Well, over the course of this year, the LNG market or the demand for LNG in Asia has been significantly lower. There's been some strength in Japanese demand over the summer, and there's been the usual ebbs and flows around around uh, peak cooling load during the summer, and then obviously there'll be the, the winter peak as well. But what we have noticed is that the data is suggesting that, you know, whether the big four or five users, whether that's South Korea, whether that's um, uh, China itself, these are all double digits down on 21, same period in 21 in terms of uh, LNG demand. So whether that's partly price driven or actually just need and economic outlook driven, there isn't the huge here and now demand. And what we have seen after a little bit of a lull at the end of July, we're now seeing a big surge again in LNG deliveries into the UK and into Europe um, over the next few weeks. Right. And of course, the background to all of this, as we know, and the continuing issues about availability of Russian gas, or indeed whether it ought to be available uh, to, to Europe uh, from an ethical point of view, but physically as well. The news that as it's emerging about uh, flows of, of Russian gas through Nord Stream 2 and so on, they're trickling in, aren't they? And, and storage levels not looking as, as bad as we might have feared elsewhere in Europe. Of course, the UK is unusual not having much long-running storage, but at least we have a lot of our own production. So what's what's the balance within Europe looking like at the moment? Yeah, so the storage is, uh, well, there's several prongs here that are quite interesting. One is the UK is MRS based and it cycles on a short term basis. Uh, and that's worked quite well this summer. Obviously, we understand that Rough now has uh, HSE approval for a partial reopening and that may yield some extra gas because it's always been flowing gas, of course, the old cushion gas. Uh, we might see some extra flows there this winter now. But, you know, as we've talked about on this forum before, actually, you have to buy the gas and put it in there to be able to take it out. And um, I'd really downplay that as a major. It's a little bit of comfort and possibly a few people making some money out of it but um, I, I don't think it's meaningful certainly in 2022 because the, just the gas has to go in for it to come out. In terms of the wider piece and that really does have a knock-on effect to, to us in the UK is that you know crisis what crisis in terms of uh, storage levels in, in Europe now of course that doesn't denigrate the fact that it's going in there at you know eye-wateringly high prices but uh, we're now at 88% storage capacity in france we're 77 percent in germany we're 77 percent in italy and i think based on current flows we see the natural fill date as less than 19 days away so 19 days away to meet the eu's um you know 80 85 percent 90 percent the moving target that is their storage uh, target for this year so yes of course that can't change the fact that it's gone in there at hugely uncomfortable prices but by the time we get to september that doesn't seem that there will be uh, a storage crisis in europe again it's a price crisis you know and there is perhaps no one would want to be a seller in this market but there is the classic price gouging looking evident again as ever this summer you know the uk has the october annual contract round there are naturally 
a few sellers at this time of year um, and even less now because they know people have got to buy it we've seen winter gas has gone up by 20 percent in since the last time we spoke in two weeks uh, winter power up by 10 percent in the same period you know it just we're now into the area where actually suppliers and governments need to be worried about default and not actually because we looked at what's going on in power only this morning. Base load for November 22, over £700 a megawatt hour. Peak load closing in on £1,100 a megawatt hour. We're approaching a £1 a kilowatt hour in delivered cost. And at that point, you might as well turn the lights out because no one will be paying it. Well, that, of course, is exactly the danger. Uh, in the first instance, naturally, people worry about the physical availability of gas and power um, to meet demand. But, of course, is that demand going to be there? Can anyone afford an industry to pay those sort of prices? It's not like the domestic sector where, where it's capped, at least to some degree. And there's no, no realistic prospect of government being able to underwrite those costs, you know, the billions required. To, you know, there will be eye-watering numbers. So, you know, where, where does this leave? industrial users and other big users in particular uh, but also their suppliers um you know it, it strikes me you've got a really difficult economic situation here which which is problematic for both sides no oh, without doubt i mean the, the, you know the problem for me is that no one in it uh, seems to be talking about this at top level because we may keep the lights on we may socialize the cost of domestic gas and electricity who knows what the new prime minister or the the political consensus uh, will be derived at for 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 the cap and for uh, the domestic sector but uh, you know make no mistake we are talking about sacrificing business and industry to be able to keep the lights on and affordable this winter for you know for the individual householder um, but I don't hear anybody talking about it, Jeremy. Well, I can understand why politicians don't want to talk about it. As a veteran, as someone who campaigned for many years on behalf of large industrial users, uh, we always made the point to ministers that you know some of the security of supply to the domestic sector is effectively being uh, underwritten by the industrial. You know, if you can't afford to consume power and gas, and you're you're taken off the system, that's part of what balances it for everyone else. But that doesn't mean that there's no problem just because the lights stay on if we're shutting down swathes of industry in order to achieve it. That's not sustainable either uh, but you know searching around for, for a crumb of comfort in all this uh, you know Russian supplies Europe won't get off those uh, instantaneously however fast we take action on energy efficiency moving to renewables electrification of heat and and, and production of our own gas or sources and so on uh, and nor will the UK specifically so you know is is there any good news about the physical availability of, of Russian gas even if it's at reduced flows do you think? Yes, yeah, so I've very much uh, latched onto something I heard uh, this week. It was against a few banks making assumptions that there won't be any more than 30 MCM coming through Nord Stream 1 this winter, which is currently what we're receiving, and others base casing saying, well, we're going to get nothing. The energy aspects uh, analyst turned around and said, well, that's all possible, but uh, this would necessitate shutting down wells on the Western Arctic field. Uh, and it, their assessment of it was that 60 MCM or 40% of Nord Stream 1's capacity would have to flow unless 
the Russians and Gazprom were prepared to actually start shutting down some of their Western Arctic fields. So that is a nice piece of news to end on, perhaps. Well, I hope it is. Heaven knows um, consumers could do with something positive, or at least not negative at the moment. And and as you say, uh, you know, there's a limited number of places that that gas can go to. It's not like um, oil or, or LNG. If it isn't going to supply Western Europe, it can't easily be diverted elsewhere, at least not for some considerable period of time and after engineering. So uh, thank you, Jason, for guiding us through all that. I hope you'll hunch that, you know, hesitate to say we've reached uh, peak panic in the markets. Who knows if there's a bit more of that to come. Uh, but things might be clearer as we go um, into the start of the October con- contract round proper. So thanks for explaining it. If you found that interesting and would like to find out more, do visit our website, alphaenergygroup.com forward slash UK and have a look at our reports there. And do listen out for another podcast again from us soon.